Welcome to the Millennial Falcon Podcast, a pop culture podcast by three geeky millennials. I'm Willoughby Dobbs, a filmmaker in the D.C. area, and with me, as always, are my two co-hosts. I'm Hui Chen Buya, a writer for Slash Film and a pop culture journalist in New York. And I am Anya Ferdinand, a writer and editor in Los Angeles. All right, guys, um, today is an interesting episode um, because I will only be here for part of it. Um, but let me introduce it anyway, and then uh, we're going to chat for a bit, and then I'm going to disappear until uh, our really like section. We, would, we just want to um, stress the uh, incredible irony of Anya having to introduce this episode because it is a topic that she does not care for, and yet she is being saddled with this introduction. Yeah, <laughs> I am. I am. Our, but I'm going to do my that best. We, oh. I'm going to do my best to not be um, a snarky asshole in the introduction, at least. I don't promise that for later when we get into the content. Um, But uh, this week we are discussing Watchmen, uh, the Alan Moore and Dave Gibbon uh, graphic novel from the 1980s. And we are discussing that this week because tonight, is it tonight? Yes. Tonight Tonight is is the the finale of the first season of HBO's new Watchmen series, helmed by Damon Lindelof, starring the likes of Regina King, Gene Smart, um, uh, Scar, Jeremy Irons, Jeremy Irons, (laughs) (laughs) and Ozzy Mudias, who sucks. Like, fuck Adrian Veidt. I mean, that's canonical. So the biggest mansplainer of all the mansplainers. so we're going to be discussing first um, just the graphic novel itself and kind of its legacy because that I have read and have many thoughts on. Um, and then I'm going to disappear while H.T. and Willoughby discuss the TV show um, as I do not watch that. Um, and then you watch the Watchmen. I'm not going to watch the Watchmen um, because I think that people uh, I think Watchmen is the fight club of graphic novels in which people completely misinterpret what Watchmen was originally about. Um and uh, until someone who has actual, like, marginalized experience wants to take it on, I have no interest in ever revisiting Watchmen ever again. So, yes. Well, let's dig into it. <laughs> let's dig into it. <laughs> um, so I basically wanted Anya on for this episode because I actually am really curious about her thoughts about Watchmen. As you can tell from some of her introduction, she has a lot of them. So Anya, I actually want to start with you and ask, um, what are your thoughts about Watchmen, the original graphic novel, its legacy, and why? Oh, God. Okay, I'm going to make this as succinct as possible. I first discovered Watchmen uh, with Zack Snyder's movie, uh, which came out, I think, in 2009? Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, and so it, it in my naive high school years, in which I had not become as acquainted with social justice issues, um, you know, historical, you know, civil rights for various marginalized communities, I had not come into my own identity as a queer woman yet. Like, so I, it happened in high school before I had really kind of become who I am today. Um, And so I saw the movie Watchmen and I loved it. I was like, oh, it's so edgy and so cool. Um, And from there I went and read the graphic novel, which I also loved at the time. Um, And then I grew up and uh, got more brain cells and realized that both are not great. Um, The movie, especially the movie is like just a soulless Zack Snyder, like, trash can um that like looks pretty but like doesn't actually understand what the original graphic novel was trying to do and then the original graphic novel as I said in my intro is the fight club of graphic novels because it has been co-opted by fanboys who don't actually understand what Alan Moore was trying to do in the original Watchmen graphic novel because the original novel is an anti-violence like anti-right-wing story um, specifically when you a character like Rorschach, who people now idolize and try and emulate, even though Rorschach is a terrible human being and Alan Moore never, ever glorifies him and, like, doesn't want you to root for him because he is a racist, misogynistic garbage of a person. Um, and yet people are like, Rorschach is my favorite hero. And you're like, 
No, no. Ted Cruz once listed Rorschach as one of his favorite superheroes. Fun fact. Did he really? Um, that explains he, a lot. It that yeah. does explain a lot. It explains a lot, Ted doesn't it? Watchmen based on Ted Cruz? Doesn't it? <laughs> so my whole thing with Watchmen is that I... First, I think it's been mis- misunderstood for decades, and that has really been to its detriment. Um, that being said, it has a lot of problems, especially when it comes to marginalized characters, women, people of color, queer characters. Um, a lot, a lot of problems. Um, and revisiting it um, later on in my life, I've discovered that while I respect its place in like graphic novel canonical history and the impact it had on comic books and superheroes and graphic novels, um, I think its importance has been a bit overstated because I think that we do not discuss its pitfalls enough. We only talk about kind of like how great it is and how amazing it is that it exists, whereas I think it actually has a lot of problems and I do not think that it's like the best graphic novel of like time I think listed it and one of their like as their like top 100 novels of all time whatever they put Watchmen and it's crazy to me that something like that versus like Mouse would like Mouse would not be on there but like Watchmen would when Watchmen has so many problems that I think um especially nowadays are so much more egregious and so I think for me personally like I I struggle with its legacy because I understand it, but I also don't think it deserves it. Um, it like with the hindsight, um, in that nowadays we can look at it and say like, oh no, this graphic novel is very problematic. It should not like we should not be trying to emulate this. Mm. Um, and I have issues with Alan Moore. He's the one who wrote the Killing Joke, which is one of the most despicable comics ever created. Um, so I kind of just struggle with the Watchmen legacy in general. I don't think it needed to be brought back. Um, I think if it had been, I think if it had to be brought back, that it should have been helmed by a person of color or a queer person who can understand its legacy and understand why it failed in so many regards and try and do it better. But as it is, I think it is unnecessary. And I think it is um, mostly just... damaging and I, I i don't i don't think it should keep it con- existing in like new formats you know the funny thing is is that all your criticisms that you have with watchmen which i share a lot of are actually addressed by the series itself and yeah. done in a way that um takes to task the original graphic novel and i know that you have said before you have issues with damon lindelof which i also want to dig into because i don't know why um, but, uh, he also has writers of color on his, on his crew. And I remember him talking about his inspiration for the Watchmen, uh, series himself, which he was initially reluctant to take on was, uh, Tahizi, um, the Atlantic article, uh, oh, by Tan, Tan, Tahizi Coates, Atlantic article, the case for reparations, which, uh, refers to this, massacre in Tulsa, Oklahoma that forms the jumping off point for the yeah, series. Yeah, the 1921. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. So um, I do think that I feel like you would get something out of the TV series, but I know that you already have your, your heart set on um I do. I do. Um, it, but- if Damon Lindelof really actually cared, um, then he would be a producer and he would let a person of color be the showrunner mm-hmm. and actually let them be telling the story. So if he actually cared and cared about these voices that's what he would be doing but he's not he's taking all the glory for himself and so what what yep. uh, so i have not, a question do you have an he, issue with damon lindelof i'm not like trying to be accusatory or anything i'm just no, genuinely curious but yeah. do you have an issue with damon lindelof outside of him taking on watchmen and doing a new adaptation of it or rather a new um, interpretation ruining tomorrowland <laughs> i'm still bitter about that i will always be bitter about that um his his tendency to gatekeep and his ego, um, his inability to uh, critique or actually understand Watchmen. When you have a white man who describes Rorschach as sad and tragic, I am I immediately shut off and say, 
like, no, like, then you are not the person who should be uh, telling the story. Um, the fact that he has said explicitly that he came across Watchmen as a teen boy, as a white cis hetero teen boy, and he has an inability to step back from the series and be object, uh, like, be critical or, um, um, like, objective about it, I guess. Um, it tells me that you are the last person who should be doing a story like this. Um, and I, again, um, there are lots of stories about race in America and uh, justice and policing uh, done by people of color. And those are the stories I'm more interested in. Um, and like I said, um, if Damon Lindelof really uh, cared to genuinely tell the story, he would have said, yes, HBO, I will do this and I will be a producer on it. But so-and-so people of color, queer people should be the ones actually running the show. Um, and uh, also a, a man who says that it was a miserable experience. Uh, uh, God, that rubbed me the wrong way, like so badly because so many people would love to be in your shoes who don't have the opportunities you have. And you're going to sit here and say that you were depressed making this. Um and also the fact that he says that he respects Alan Moore and respects creators' rights, and yet the fact that DC has screwed over Alan Moore and the rights to his own story, and Damon Lindelof said, yeah, as a fan, like, I hate it, but I'm going to do it anyway. Okay, then where are your convictions? Mm. Um, so I just have a, a lot, a lot of issues with him as a creator and how so he presents most himself. Of it has to do with the lead up, the press tour lead up to Watchmen itself, right? Not like and other than Tomorrowland. <laughs> yeah. And then, you know, his eight page letter to Watchmen fans comparing this to like the New Testaments. Mm. Like, nothing can put me off something than a white man comparing his work to like some biblical text. Like, are you kidding me? Like, get out of here. I guess I gotta go throw out my script. <laughs> well, it's funny um, thing is, because, like, I remember all of that happening ahead of the Watchmen uh, debut premiere, and, you know, it, it was a little bit much. I felt like he was leading into that fanboy persona a little too hard. But all of the things that he did in the press tour uh, kind of stands in direct contrast to what I, he actually achieved with the Watchmen series. So I do think that... why say it? Then why do it? Like, why... I mean, I don't know. He's a... I think he's, I think, if anything, he's a man who puts his foot in his mouth way too many times. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, and, and I guess... is someone who probably is not good at media training, and that's a problem, and that definitely needs to be addressed. Uh, and I, I think he gets probably too big for his britches. I also think that he's just, like, so sincere and earnest that it just, like, comes off as a little bit self-deprecating in ways and like I mean I'm just reading into things but that's my I mean, I reading think it of comes it as, as a queer woman who has read this graphic novel and has so many issues with it what he says just comes across as egotistical and gatekeeping mm. and I feel like I do not belong um and I don't it's hard it I understand that people have acclaimed this series and they're saying, no, 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 it's it's different. And it actually addresses all these things. And, but it's hard for me because I, similar, I guess, with Sad Astra. Sad Astra. I guess similar with Ad Astra is that there's so much content right now mm. in the world that I want, uh, I don't have time for all of it, mm. frankly. None of us do. Um, and I'm going to choose projects that um, are helmed by voices that I care about and that are saying something that uh, I care about. And um, I, I, I just, I, That's it's fair. hard. I don't yeah. know. I, I, I'm also just, I just, I just don't think this should, this show should exist mm. like at all. Um, and that's fair. And I think that we can't, no one should force you to make, watch something that you don't want to. So. No, but I also understand that I'm very biased and that like I am sort of like blindly just like charging this hill mm -hmm. and like talking about something that I haven't watched yet. And I understand that. Um, and that is a shortcoming of my own. But it, it's hard when a creator has so 
has so made me feel like I don't belong and that like criticisms don't matter and they fall on deaf ears and a creator who has an inability to talk about racial injustice in America because he is a white man. Mm-hmm. It It's hard for me because it feels like if I, I, I really can't get over, like if he really cared about this story, mm-hmm. then he would be shepherding other voices to be leading it rather than leading it himself. Like he would be in the background on the sidelines mm. and he's not doing that. And it just really puts me off personally. I, I feel, I feel like it is once again, like a white man sort of co-opting a narrative that just because Watchmen is important to him, he thinks that like, he doesn't like he, that he only trusts himself to do it. Mm. And I guess I'm just, there are so many voices that have had issues with this graphic novel for decades. Mm-hmm. And I, I want them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I totally understand that. Um, not to press the issue, but I do wonder like how feasible it would have been to get a person of color on the like because we talk all the time about Hollywood how Hollywood is a business and I know HBO has been trying to get like this series made and they you know approached Damon Lindelof in addition to other people we don't know who Mm -hmm. they who else they approached but I think I know Lindelof was had the sort of uh temperament that like if not me then someone they would go for someone else and you don't know if that person they would go for would be a person of color or would probably be another white man who wouldn't have as much of a racially nuanced take on it um absolutely and i'm not saying it's entirely like like, all like yeah it is all like a lot of structure but yeah right it's the machine Mm -hmm. um i think i think it helps that he has hired a lot of people of color for writers of the episodes um and women directors directors. Mm -hmm writers and directors um and that he it's not like he writes every episode obviously he's the showrunner he has a lot of say in what things are um but i do think he's doing some of what you're saying he should do which is like have other voices step up and like they definitely they write the episodes and consultants and stuff so that's yeah, like I think I think he's doing some of yeah, the work. Some, that no, he's doing. I know yeah. his writers. It's more than like, like what Marvel does with like their their gay moments or whatever. <laughs> but it is like it is a process, and I understand exactly like what you're talking about, Anya, because it is frustrating, especially when we could have that, but we don't. Um, but yeah, I um, I do want to say like not to like feel like you're, I'm being a. Uh, uh, Fighty over this, but no, uh, you're yeah. not. No, not at all. I will say that uh, all an all diverse crew doesn't always make for the best content. Yeah, like just because you fulfill a quota doesn't mean it's going to be no, of course, always not. great. Uh, case in point, the last season of Doctor Who, which is like, not terrible, but they made a big show about hiring all these diverse yeah. writers, but the diverse writers obviously didn't really have a handle on Doctor Who as the series and turned out right. episodes that were, like, fine episodes of, like, sci-fi TV, but not something that were great episodes of Doctor Who. And I felt like the series took a dip in quality because of that. They were trying so hard to be like, look how diverse we are. And it felt very much, like, pandering in a lot of ways. And so I do think that there is some of that. There's a line to be drawn between those things. Um, but I also completely I understand. Because, like, this is a... a a a story that is so mired in like problems with its depictions of people of color of minorities and everything so exactly yeah it's i i realize i'm being very biased and probably very unfair mm-hmm. um and no but you know, i want to maybe... hear your 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 um your thoughts because that's what like we're here for that's what we want to like it yeah. is it yeah. is but like the more i talk the more I, the more i sound um uh, not at all reasonable. Um, we're not all reasonable people. No, we're <laughs> only human. Um, I can't critique Star Wars. Like that's just that's me. Yeah, yeah. I, 
I don't know. I guess it's so hard. I guess. I understand all. I understand like your 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 problems with Lindelof and like Watchmen as a whole. Like I told, like those those you have very valid concerns. Some and some not so valid. It, I almost wish I could like sit down with Damon Lindelof and like just talk with him because I think one of my issues is that like right I don't know him he doesn't know me. I only know him in interviews and in media and how he, you know, presents himself to the public eye. Um, but, like, my thing is that he makes me, as as a, as a fan or as a viewer, like, he sort of makes me feel not very welcome. Mm. Um, and I believe that's not his intention. Um, but it sort of puts me off. Like, it it feels like this is not something that is <clears throat> that like I can enjoy that I'm allowed to enjoy. Um, and yeah. And I, I, I think he has just said things that have like been sort of damaging um, and has just given me such a bad impression that like, I've been determined not to even give this a chance and that's the fault of my own. And like, maybe I am missing out on something I would really enjoy and love. Um, but it, it sucks when so much of this, especially like comic books and superheroes, you know, have been steeped in sexism and, you know, not really allowing women to, you know, play in the sandbox. Mm. And it feels like, it feels like I'm still not allowed in um and so maybe it's also just like a very personal thing that's just like I, I that like decades of all of this have just you know you know sunk into me and yeah I have to figure it out myself too and it's not entirely Damon Lindelof's fault and maybe I'm just way too harsh on him because uh, decades of this have you know uh, mired in one's perspective, I guess. Yeah. So. That's totally understandable. I mean, it, it's it's totally your prerogative to, to like, you know, have valid criticisms of what he said. Like, obviously, like, you know, we're, like, with press tours are always wild and, like, the Star Wars one, la- like, last week. Oh, God, Rise of Skywalker has like, been a nightmare. And, like, and, and like those are people who you think like like that like that sort of that whole thing has been weird. And da- but like Damon Lindelof has always had like a foot in his mouth when he says things. And I I think like HT said, I think he comes from a very sincere perspective. And and I think that like as as he's like a creator of things that we all enjoy, like The Lost and uh, Leftovers and. Um, now Watchmen, like I think that he is it, 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 like there is like a double edged like. Like, it, it, um, what am I trying to say here? I think I think that his 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 words are can be harmful, and that's a, that could be a problem. And like, I think that you know, uh, like years of sexism in the comics industry and uh, in Hollywood and stuff like that doesn't help anything. And but I, but I do think that the, I mean, like we're talking, we're supposed to be talking about the comics right now. But I do definitely think that with the Lindell, with the the TV show, he is he is helping shepherd voices to talk about and recontextualize superheroes in an interesting way, with how like a black man play Doctor Manhattan, and then also uh, a, I guess spoiler alert. Um, but then uh, also have a, a a very famous in-universe character be revealed to be a black man as well, mm-hmm. fighting for justice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, I, I know who you're talking about and that that character yeah. has been, you know, presumed to be queer um, canonically. Mm-hmm. Um, which... Uh, it's, it, presumed, uh, it's canonical. Like, Well, canonical yeah. in this series, mm-hmm. never never canonical in, like, the graphic novel, only ever, like, presumed. Sure. Yeah, um, so they have made it canonical, um, which does make me more interested. Um, 
now I just feel really bad. No, this wasn't, this wasn't, um, supposed to put you on the spot and like make you feel bad or anything because I just, I just really wanted to know your views. And honestly, I agree with a lot of your criticism, especially with the original, uh, graphic novel because I felt those yeah, two. Yeah, the, the comic isn't as good as the TV show, I'd mm-hmm. have to say. Yeah. yeah. Like, you know, dumb hot take. Yeah. You know what's really funny is that um, Rebecca, my roommate uh, and friend of the pod, is watching the TV series without having prior knowledge of the graphic novel, and she loves oh, it. Um, so it's like I actually brought back my graphic novel so she could read it, and she was telling me that she um, – her view now is kind of – she views the TV series as her primary sort of source – versus the graphic novel and she prefers it that way because like the series improves so much on what the graphic novel is doing um that she just has so has she has she has a real affection for the series now over like the graphic novel i mean maybe i maybe i'll give it a chance nine hours it's a weekend you never you never know it it makes me feel like i have been um unfair in a lot of my criticism um, which again stems from mostly a lot of personal feelings rather than kind of objective, mm-hmm. like criticism. Yeah, um, but I can see how Damon Lindelof's words reinforce a lot of what you face with like sexism in the comic, in comic books, and everything like that, and in the industry. That, his his letter that he wrote, basically trying to reassure Watchmen fans that the show was in good hands, was sort of bullshit, and I don't think he should have wrote it. I think he. I, I I think if anything, like if I was Damon Lindelof's manager way back when, like you know, like I would basically tell him, can you just like post an Instagram of like the set and just say like we're working on Watchmen, this could be fun. Because I think I think the I think the art stands for itself more so than his words mm-hmm. do. I think that like HD said, like his his words that he, like leading up to the show premiering for the past couple of years have been sort of in contradict have been contradictory to what the show is about. Mm-hmm. Like on your, yeah. like one of the first things you, we're getting into the show and I feel like we need to go step back to the comics, but like, yeah. Okay. Let's, let's talk about the comics. The comic is problematic. Definitely. I read it for yeah. the first time right before the series launched. I had watched the, the Zack Snyder movie with, uh, I don't know, nine years ago when it was on demand, like that movie is very long and it's very dedicated to its source material, but it is also hyper violent, like more so than the comic. And it just sort of, it's too much of a straight adaptation, but also glorifying Rorschach. And, and I think what happens with, like you said, it's the fight club of graphic novels, the, the racist, the racist and the, the misogynistic fanboys are going to take it the wrong way. And they have, but what I love about the TV show is that it flips it on its head and it points out that Rorschach's the bad guy mm-hmm. and that Rorschach was a racist because like the the white supremacists co-opt his look and co-opt his right. like fanatic uh, sense of uh, just quote unquote justice. Like I think that um, the comic is supposed is was transgress- transgressive, which is a bold word um but it's sort of like you know it's like comics are gritty now and definitely the comics industry has taken the wrong uh lessons from that uh but i but i looking at the comic reading it for the first time in 2019 from a and looking at what the 1985 perspective of it all is i thought it was a really interesting sort of quote-unquote real world look at what would happen if there was a superman and what would happen, like what the world, what the world governments would do with that, and how the U.S. sort of became super corrupt, and Nixon had like four terms as, or five, five, four or five terms, and sort of thought that they were invincible because Dr. Manhattan was on their side, and sort of it was definitely like a bleaker outlook than like what Superman is, obviously. But I thought it was an interesting take on the superhero genre and how superheroics, like could be in like in in the quote-unquote real world could be like these are not all good people who are doing what they're doing mm-hmm. um and that as like with the comedian and rorschach like they're they are very hyper violent menacing people who should not be allowed to have such you know uh arsenals and uh like things uh to to 
like At their to disposal. use for justice. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I and like I hear what you're saying because it's like right because like there are some themes. I think the political themes, you know, are actually very good in Watchmen and like uh, important to be considered. But like it has been so mired in its sexual violence against women, its <laughs> lack of characters of color, and when it does have them. Uh, stereotyping them in racist ways, um, you know, murdering off queer characters. It's there's something telling about the fact that all of Alan Moore's most like famous comics all have sexual violence against women in them. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, no, it's it's very not good. And so it's like it, it's tough because you know, does the interesting por- uh, like political questions and themes and ideas um outweigh these also very damaging tropes and uh uh content factors in the graphic novel i think Um, they can acknowledge both yeah i I think like for me uh like watchman sits at a strange place because i like respect and honestly like am in awe of what it does uh, as like a piece of alternate history storytelling and telling and it's it's very much like a product of its time as well as being progressive for its time and the product being like you know the sexual violence and everything and like the edginess but progressive for how it takes to task this idealized um view of superheroes in a way that's like so interesting and it kind of gets drowned out by all the edginess and like its legacy and and everything that i do think that um the legacy is the big falling like failing of Watchmen yeah, um, because as a piece of art on its own it's really interesting and it does a lot of really interesting things but it's not without its you know downfalls or it's like yeah. a, it's a fault it's uh faults so um I do yeah, like, and I yeah. think there's a lot of questions like I have a lot of issues with Alan Moore but then I also struggle with the ethical implications about creators rights mm-hmm. um and the fact that you know, does this show, like, is it ethical even in its existence um, if the creator, um, if the creator has been manipulated and lied to by DC mm. and, um, you know, doesn't doesn't get to have his rights to his own material anymore yeah and so like i think that poses some questions that are interesting a lot of thorny issues around watch there are there are which which is i guess very appropriate yes um, yeah and like we've talked in the past like just a couple episodes ago that like art is political mm-hmm. and how like the politics of the 80s were definitely something um and that this yep. is sort of that's it's literally smack dab in the middle of reagan era uh, but it looks at it from a perspective of what if Nixon was still in charge. Uh, and I think what, what that it, it just sort of, yeah, like it, it is a product of its time. And it, it's interesting to look at it from a 2019 perspective and just see how, you know, nowadays you just like, you would just not see a lot of that in today's media. Or if you would, it'd be pointed out almost immediately and, you know, there'd be a ton of articles about why this is very bad. And I feel like, you know, the, the, the people who, who, who love Watchmen in the eighties, who love it now, probably, you know, like that they're, you know, it's, it's one of those situations where you're just like, you know, times have evolved. And yeah. as Bob Dylan said, the times they are a changing. And honestly, it's the best part sort of the Watchmen movie with just yeah, the intro. It, it's just sort of a, uh, a fascinating look at alternate 80. It's like an alternate 1985 through what is already a problematic 1985. Uh, and just sort of, it's it's an interesting prism to look at the, the graphic novel in, especially mm-hmm. now that we do have the TV show. And the TV show is sort of recontextualizing a lot of it, issues that we've had with the Watchmen graphic novel and sort of writing wrongs and correcting things. I think the greatest tragedy of the Watchmen graphic novel is that everything that Alan Moore was trying to make, take a stance against and trying to deconstruct and criticize uh, ended up being the things that were glamorized the most of like the fans of the, of Watchmen. So it is like, it's, it's so interesting that, that the Watchmen TV series is kind of 
taking that into account and, you know, like Willoughby was saying, turning that on its head. Um, But I, uh, yeah, I completely have like the same feelings as you with uh, Anya with like the original graphic novel. I read it um, actually like around the time that I was getting into Lost because I love Lost so much and I knew that Watchmen's time jumping uh, structure had a lot of influence on Lost. I went into... Yeah. Watchmen, like with that knowledge, because I was just so uh, like uh, obsessed with Lost, and I really loved how it was it, it pioneered that format. And I was really taken with the format more than anything. I was like, "This is so cool!" Um, and then, of course, when I saw the movie, I I was very disappointed because it was such a strict adaptation that it felt suffocatingly strict and yeah. in a way that like only... comic book was the storyboard for that movie yeah, it basically was but it only t- like under like Zack Snyder showed that he had no understanding of what the graphic novel was actually trying to say he only was you know he was so uh, distracted by all the prettiness and the, the pretty nights that he did he took a very service level understanding of that and made that into a film and that that film, I think, is really emblematic of exactly that legacy of Watchmen and, like, how people are so dazzled by what it did and how it looked and what it, like, how it revolutionized comics and turned it into a gritty, the industry into a gritty industry um, that, you know, that uh, message, the actual messages against fascism, against, mm-hmm. like, uh, glamorizing heroes in the first place were lost. So it's, it is really fascinating. It's just, like, wham, Watchmen. It really stands you know in a weird place. <laughs> there is a straight line between Watchmen the comic, Watchmen the movie, Man of Steel, and Batman versus Superman. Oh yeah, for sure. There really is. Like, um, yeah. yeah, no, there is. Um, all right. I think you've had all my thoughts. I have a lot to consider myself. Um, but I'm going to leave you guys to discuss the show now because I have not watched any of it, so I cannot uh, comment on it. Um. So I'm going to leave you guys to discuss that, and I will be back for the really like. All right. See you in a bit, Anya. All right. Now that that Anya's gone, we talk behind her back. Just kidding. Yeah. We miss you, Anya. But uh, now that she's gone, um, anyone who hasn't watched the Watchmen series also can leave and come back and, you know, 15 minutes, I guess. Yeah. Um, but we are yeah. going to be talking about the Watchmen TV series now and our thoughts on it because it is nearing to the end, nearing to midnight, you might say. It's, it's hey. 11th hour because, you know, yeah. TikTok-ing to TikTok to TikTok. world's going to blow up. <laughs> yep. <laughs> uh, but yeah. Um, hey, maybe. it's a good show. Yeah. I love it. I love it. Oh my gosh. I was I like, it's so good. I was a little anxious going into it because you guys remember I saw the, uh, the pilot or I say you guys, you remember I saw the pilot at a comic con and I felt like I had to keep a tempered reaction just because the energy in that room was so big and I couldn't tell if this episode was actually good or not, but I was just like, I don't know what's happening, but I think I like yeah. it. I mean, comic con is one of those situations where like, Everyone there is a super fan mm-hmm. or a super fan reporter. And basically the energy in that room is always, pre- I want to say always positive. Like mm-hmm. even if something comes out, it's bad that people still like the, the electrifying like room. I remember like, you know, like we've seen a lot of like, to, to go back to our conversation, Zack Snyder stuff premieres at um, uh, Comic-Con and like the, like the, the leaks and uh, the, the filmed footage of like those like trailers always get like, can hear the audience like just losing their shit when mm-hmm. Batman comes on screen with a big armored suit, and then a for some reason the um the bat signal pointing at Superman. I don't know that movie's gone Bad. trash. Um, but um, but we're not talking that, about trash. The, uh, we're talking about great no, TV series. Exactly, and I think I want to talk about. I want to start off by going back to a point we were we made earlier, which is that the show like makes a very concerted effort to say what Rorschach was, was bad. Mm-hmm. And his, and that these white supremacists who have co-opted his style of the Rorschach mask mm-hmm. um, and his like, you know, racist sensibilities um, plays into an interest, like the conversation, the, the larger conversation of the critique of Watchmen as a comic book, because uh, the racists are mad at this show. 
Yeah. Like they're tanking the, the, the audience ratings on Rotten Tomatoes, which is hilarious to yeah. me. Yeah. I saw a tweet I saw tweets about that. Like I think like like the 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 people who are like rightly offended of the show of of like what they think how they how they make Rorschach into a villain is sort of like so I, I eat it up. <laughs> well, I want to talk about uh, something that I find really fascinating. It's kind of a through line, actually, between the Watch- Watchmen graphic novels and the TV series, and that's the concept of nostalgia. So in the original Watchmen graphic novels, it's nostalgia is kind of a big undercurrent of this, uh, this story, this idea of, like, a better past, a more glorious past, um, and now we're on- we're worse off because everything is just terrible um there's crime is up fascism is is rampant etc um and i think i remember i think it was adrian veit's um perfume that he starts selling that's called nostalgia and yeah and so like i think so or i know i definitely know the meta the, the pills in the tv show are called nostalgia oh yeah, yeah. was the yeah, was the perfume that's, that's what i'm going to later but like yeah in the oh, original graphic sure, novel, yeah, of course. yeah in the original graphic novel yeah. there's like a perfume that adrian Veidt sells that's called nostalgia and um the the graphic novel itself like kind of plays with the idea that nostalgia is a thing that's you know poisoning us or at least like it's not something that is all is all that great like living in that past um but that that subtext of nostalgia in the graphic novel is made into text in the tv series in a way that's so um sharp and smart and really really like i don't know profound um like the good old days weren't so good yeah like you were saying willoughby the the pills that uh regina king's character angela abar takes uh, are called nostalgia and they're um the memories of a person that they turn into pills and that they can relive their past and the series itself is kind of sold on that 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 idea of nostalgia of the return of this grand franchise this grand ip and that we can see that glory days of comic book of the comic books just like come to life again and yet the series takes a task that idea of nostalgia and and basically you know deconstructs it deconstructs it and talks about how nostalgia is kind of the enemy um especially in the ways that you know it plays to modern times that idea of make america great again and that kind of comes into play in like the most recent episodes too where you realize that these white supremacists are trying to you know make america great again they they all but say it and um yeah i think it's like it's such an interesting way to approach the graphic novel and it's so smart and cool and i love it yeah and i think that um you know setting setting the whole movie the whole TV show around a black family and a black like lineage and going back to the 1921 Oklahoma um, massacre, I guess, um, is such an interesting perspective to set Watchmen in because like that, like with, with a property like Watchmen, that's not the, those aren't the people you'd expect the, the, this IP to frame their center around Mm -hmm. their story around, but they, but they do. And I, and bring up a lot of points about, men in masks and you know especially when we go back to when we go through that flashback episode and you you know they go back to the clan and that hooded justice was a black man who had to pretend to be a white man to to get justice done and to to eliminate the clan in new york city i think was it's such a fascinating complex breakdown of race in america Mm -hmm. It really recontextualizes the entire understanding of, of the Watchmen story and puts it in the eyes and in the hands of the minorities who would normally not get that uh, that attention, that focus. And um, I also do think it's interesting that the series, too, uh, doesn't completely um, abide by, like, you know, per- everything progressive is, is great because even the police, like, tactics... Uh, who the police are, you know, made out to be the opponents of the white saviors, like the white, not the white saviors, the white supremacists. Um, but they use, you know, brutal tactics that you know, 
flout the idea of, of human rights and everything. And they're still fascists. They're still fascists. And I think it's really, it's intentional that the imagery around the police, especially like in the first episode, is very fascist, you know, like. So yeah. um, I do think it's like interesting because it's like the series is just kind of taking to task like that idea of totalitarianism and fascism altogether and um how uh yeah that's it's just so it's just so great <laughs> yeah um, and i think that you get you see the different like what what a mask means for different groups of people because you've got the rorschach masks you've got the cop masks you've got the detective masks which can be like their own style their own like they basically become the vigilante superheroes of this universe and then you've got obviously in the past the clan masks um and then you've got hooded justice mm-hmm. um and and i think that you know it's such a the the idea of a mask is and also dr manhattan puts mm-hmm. on a mask at one point of um, his own face, he puts yeah. on a doctor he puts on a dr manhattan mask uh to hide who he really is even though he's clearly a very blue man um <laughs> <laughs> it's that's just, the, the latest episode is so funny um but then also in the in the in how he shapes himself like he, he literally sh- like reshapes himself into um the 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 body of a dead black man uh uh and then and when he comes back to being dr manhattan he still has that man's face uh-huh. um and and like it's it's like a um, they, they hint at it earlier. He, uh, he retained his voice when he was, or his voice, his voice dropped down to basically be the actor's voice yeah. in, um, yeah, yeah, Abdul uh, Mateen. In, yeah, when he was playing, uh, when he's, uh, Caleb, is that his name? Caleb Abar? Yeah. Cal. Cal, Cal, Cal. 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 Mm-hmm. Um, so he, when he's Cal, he's, you know, he's got like a lower voice. Um, and then when he reverts back to being Dr. Manhattan, uh, he's still got his, he's got Cal's face and Cal's voice, but he's also got blue skin like Dr. Manhattan. Mm-hmm. Like, that's such a, they, they play with the idea and that also they, they get away with not having to cast another actor to play Dr. Manhattan. Yeah. Uh, which I thought was really clever. Um, yeah. yeah. So All I right. think just the idea of the face you wear publicly and privately and how, like how they, they, it's, it's very like complex behind mm-hmm. that because we had a, we also get a whole another episode with um, uh, Looking Glass. Uh, oh, one of the best um, episodes of the Tim Blake uh, the N- series. Tim Blake Tim Blake Nelson as Looking Glass, yeah. and you get to you see that that mask has become a very protective device mm-hmm. around him, and it's made of material that is supposed to shield you from. I want to say psych, some, some psycho something, Psychic, like psychomatic rays, yeah, or, psychomatic rays, or yeah. The... Yeah, psychic energy from mm-hmm. from the um, squids, mm-hmm. and so, and 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 he, you know, he's he he doesn't like taking off the mask. Um, so I just think, and and Angela uh, has taken on the persona of Sister Knight, which is a character from like a black exploitation movie that she saw in Vietnam as mm-hmm. a child. So I think that you've got all these characters who are to, who are both defined by the mask, and also what the mask means for who what they represent in society mm-hmm. so i just think it's so i like I, i'm struggling to put it all into words because i'm not very good at that mm-hmm. but i You're just think it's such an interesting i just think it's such an interesting way of playing with the I, idea of vigilantes and superheroes and them wearing a mask and how that can sort of be harmful to others but also protect you yeah as well I, I think it goes all the way back to like hooded justice being the first vigilante in this world you know hiding his face and hiding his identity because otherwise he would not be deemed that that worthy savior you know because he is black so he uses it to hide that identity um and act out his own aggressions um and it's something that laurie blake also says she says you know people put on the mask because they have some trauma in their childhood. And um, she, uh, yeah, of course, refers to Angela, but also herself. Um, yeah. But yeah, uh, I also want to give a shout out to Lori's episode, which is on a, a oh. stunner. Might be my favorite episode, actually. Even more so than the Constant-esque last episode, just because Lori's, like, Jean Smart, god tier in that episode. She's so good. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I agree. I think 
I think yeah, and I I really like the idea that they took the um, thematic pirate story from the graphic novel and made that the uh, Ryan Murphy in universe American hero Ryan story Murphy and how it plays Snyder esque. Right. Well, it's very much like I think I think there's even like uh, Easter egg material on like the um, the uh, the the vinyl uh, Watchmen uh, scores. That have, been, that have come out that like it is definitely Ryan Murphy's TV show mm-hmm. in universe of the Watchmen, which is just so f- funny because I think that the actor who plays Hooded Justice is a Ryan Murphy like staple actor, oh. um, who's like in a lot of his like his shows. So it's just like, it, and it's uh, and then how how it like reflects the story that's happening at the same time because mm-hmm. like the the Hooded Justice episode begins with uh, an extended like cold open with the American hero story version of Hood of Hood of Justice um, and like the reveal of who he is. So I'm like, oh, we're definitely going to get a reveal of who Hood of Justice is. And, mm-hmm. and I think it was pretty clear early on, or at least like the theories were pretty clear as to who Hood of Justice would be. Um, and I, I also love uh, the open, the how uh, Hood of Justice's origin uh, uh, reflects Superman's. Um, and how he oh, yeah the protect this boy thing. how he's, yeah uh, after how he's like uh, uh, saved from a, uh, a massacre um, and comes back to be a superhero yeah I didn't oh yeah and like of course his name Will Reeves a lot of a lot yeah, of like ha- nods to uh, Superman and throughout and his parents are the ones to like push him to safety and get him out mm-hmm. uh, yeah I think that there's there's a lot to dig into this show and I feel like it's just like the the comic where it's super dense and it's going to take a probably you know uh re rewatches to uncover all of it and mm-hmm. who knows we may get a second season so there's going to be even more of that possibly but like I think this season itself no matter how it lands I think sort of is definitely you know it could it could end uh bad mm-hmm. and then that, that would sour the the TV show, but right now I really enjoy it. Yeah, I do wonder I how they can wrap everything up in one episode, though, just because they did answer a lot of questions last episode, but there's just so many threads. And um, But Damon Lindelof has said that this is a series that's going to be one, like one season, one story, and he has no intention so far of doing a second episode, but I do hear that there's like an opening for a second season. So Yeah. But yeah um, I do we'll, like the idea we'll of self-contained see, stories. Think- yeah, oh, those are great, um, and you know, but we've we've also seen Big Little Lies go from a mini series to a second season TV show. So who knows? Yeah, and that makes no uh, sense. No, <laughs> uh, but yeah, going back, I think that the TV show, like our earlier discussion with Anya, I think that does address a lot of the concerns that she does have, and mm-hmm. I hope Anya, if you're listening, that you do watch. Watchmen eventually, uh, because I think that you'll see that, you know, hopefully addressed some some problems with the with the comic book. They recontextualize some issues, um, but yeah, the the comic hat. I think it's sort of masterwork the way that they're able to improve on the comic. It's yeah. sort of like Blade Runner twenty forty nine versus Blade Runner, or it's like Star Wars Last Jedi and Star yeah. Wars. <laughs> Hell yeah, let's uh. Let's burn some bridges here. Yeah. Uh, That's what that I really love about the series is that it kind of just like it takes it doesn't do like a a, a note for note uh, like recreation of what made the original graphic novel great. It takes those like sort of thematic threads and structural threads and uses it to craft its own story that is like thematically in line with the original graphic novel but improves upon it upon, upon it exponentially I feel and I think it's such a, a masterful way of doing a, a Watchmen sequel um, by not trying to recreate it not trying to be that nostalgia but you know moving forward improving upon it being a response to it it really does feel like a response to the graphic novel versus just like a straight sequel too um, and that's what yeah that's what's, what works so well with um, with Watchmen 
And it does really make me want to dive fully into the leftovers because a lot of people who are like, where are all you guys when like this when Damon Lindelof was doing this in the leftovers to perfection already? And I was like, all right, God, I need to watch it. I'm sorry. <laughs> but, I, I think I, I, yeah, like you've watched I think the first two episodes for mm-hmm. for leftovers. Like it's more of this. It's it's a different type of it gets to a different type of weird. Um, Justin Thoreau's character goes through very much like an arc um and goes through some some weirdness um he plays around with like technology and in that lindelofy way of where you're like you're not sure if things are real or not like is this really happening or is this like a dream um and then and then the finale of leftovers has been has is very much in line with the constant and also uh uh the episode that just aired uh a a god walks into a bar um or a bar, I should say. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I, like the leftovers is so much your shit, HT. Like we've talked about this before. Like I think you'll, I think you'd love that show. I, yeah. I hope, I hope you get a chance. This is this. You don't have to binge, but you know, in an episode a day would get you through three weeks of uh, of not ep- not three weeks. There's ten episodes. I want to say nine or ten episodes a season. So like. You know, within a couple, yeah, within like like th- three or four weeks, you know, you'd get through it. When I'm not buried under deadlines. Yeah. You know what? Yeah. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to yeah. do it obviously, this holiday. Yeah, obviously your your your, your job comes first, mm-hmm. what you do there and friends and stuff. But, you know, I, I'd say make it a priority. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, um, I think that kind of wraps up our discussion on, on Watchmen. Like, Watchmen good. Watchmen, good. Watchmen, we, we, yeah. There's no way that we can, we can only only either do like 15 minutes on this or like 10 hours on it. There's no in between. Well, we have to do our own. We have to do our own podcast yeah. on Watchmen. Yeah, you got to break down every nuance. Um, I do like that. Like as opposed to Lost, where some of the nuances and like the the nods don't always add up to something. Watchmen, it does. So, like, at least that's nice. Yeah. Although I kind of liked in Lost, I was just, like, always theorizing. And it doesn't come to fruition, but then it was just, just the process of it. It was so fun. And uh, I do well, like that. I think, again, like I said, I think with with watch, with The Leftovers, you'll, you'll get some of that because there's a lot of unanswered questions, um, but also answered questions that are very character-based. Mm. You know, I think... Uh, I think it was Joanna Robinson who tweeted that Damon Lindelof turns all of his all all of these stories, starting off with like very much a fanboy science fiction genre epic, and then becomes a love story. Yeah, okay, uh, I'm in. You know how I love a love story across like a cosmic love story. <laughs> yeah, but so the leftovers definitely becomes that. Um, so yeah, uh, and Regina a- King is also in the leftovers. Oh, is she? I didn't know that. She shows up in the second season. Oh, well, I really need to watch it then. But yeah, uh, this is to kudos to Damon Lindelof for, you know, his third series exploring the mysteries of the universe in a really unique and original way and just killing it every time. Watchmen. Good. Watchmen good. All right, I think that wraps up our discussion about Watchmen. Let's move on to the last segment of our episode. I really, 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 really like you. But I need to tell you something. Okay. Well, Anya, since uh, you know you uh, are returned to us, yeah, welcome to us. Welcome back, Anya. Oh, thank you, thank you. <laughs> since like, you returned you never- to us, why don't you start us off with your really like for this week? Yes. Um, so this week I saw the movie Honey Boy Ooh. and I loved it. I thought it was beautiful and poignant and charming and devastating. Um, it is essentially an autobiography of Shia LaBeouf's life um, without explicitly being so. Um, but it is about a young boy who grows up um, as an actor in movies and television shows and with the sort of Uh, childhood fame and how that affects him as he grows up um, which is very much something that Shia LaBeouf himself experienced Um, and I thought it was just a very beautiful film with really striking performances um, from everyone in the film I was 
blown away by everyone who appeared on screen um, and cannot shake any of their performances. Um, also, the fact that it was directed by a woman, um, a documentarian. Docu- documentarian. Um, I'm blanking on her name. I want to say it's Alma. I think you're right. Yes. Um, I'm forgetting. She's great on Twitter. She's very. Like, she is. She's uh, amazing on Twitter. Her, the whole thing about the Golden Globes was yeah. fantastic. Alma Harrell. Harrell, yes. Um, and I thought her, you know, for a first time big narrative feature, she did a wonderful job. Um, and so, yeah, it just really stuck with me this week. Um, and I thought it was a very lovely film. And I'm glad that Shia LaBeouf is like back in a, in a fun artistic way. So, yeah. All right. That's Honey Boy. I need to check that out. I haven't seen it and I heard raves out of Sundance, I think, for it. So Yeah, it's yeah. very good. Mm. All right. Willoughby, what's your really like this week? Um, I watched The Farewell yesterday and I thought it was devastating. And uh, I lost my grandmother earlier this year. And so I, th- you know, probably in like March. And so I sort of... I don't want to say stayed away from watching this movie, but I didn't catch it in theaters sort of because the um, the loss was still very fresh. Um, and then when I watched this film, uh, yeah, like definitely I was super emotional and like it, it like cut me to my core. And but also it's an incredibly well-made movie. And I think because of that, that it, it is so effective in that way of like the the grief that you have knowing that you have like a sick grandparent and they may not be around much longer and then also like the sort of loneliness of that all um i think was really well done and lulu wong is such a great director and aquafina gave a really great performance um and i and i'm i'm, gl- I'm glad to see her take on like a dramatic role because i feel like at least in what we've seen in recent movies she's sort of been the comic relief character or at least the funny one like in oceans eight or in crazy rich asians um so i thought that she gave a really great performance and i think all the awards that she's all the awards attention is deserved um and the grandmother is so good the the actress that plays the grandmother is phenomenal um and i thought that it was such a wonderful little film and i and so glad that it's getting some attention at uh, with the all the end of the year awards and top ten lists and stuff. So I just wanted to point out that the farewell is great. It is. It's devastating and devastatingly funny, which is unexpected. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, at least my really like. I'm also doing some uh, best of the year catch up, and I watched on Netflix Marriage Story. I had to get in on all this discourse because everyone on Twitter, good movie. yeah, everyone on Twitter is talking about whether they uh, Scarlett Johansson and Adam Driver can act. Spoiler: they can act. They can. They're really good at it. <laughs> um, yeah, Marriage Story is uh, also devastating. It's a brutal film, honestly, about uh, just the dehumanizing process of divorce and how tiny actions and mistakes can snowball into this gigantic explosion of of uh hurt feelings and trauma and like trauma and um you know these actions being weaponized in a a legal system which really does not sympathize with the people who are going through it um it's really complex and really human uh directed by noah bombach and very much space or rather uh very clearly inspired by his own divorce. <laughs> and um, so uh, I wonder how, yeah, that's that's going over with uh, Jennifer Jason, Jason Lee. Yeah, that's her, right? Yeah. Yeah, I'm like wondering if she'll ever watch it. Probably not. Probably not, yeah. <laughs> she doesn't have to. No. Um, but um, I... And was... I think people are thinking, like, oh, go yeah. ahead. No, go, go ahead. for it. Oh. It's your oh. I was just going to say that I think people are taking that that the big explosive fight out of context like yeah. in such like a such a way like they're like like oh they're just screaming at each other i'm like yeah after like an hour and a half of being like intensely quiet towards each other yeah, and just like sniping and, like, and passive aggressive yeah like the, this it's not the movie isn't all just that one scene it's mm-hmm. it 
that's a crescendo. Like, I don't know. That's yeah. just my, my take is that it's a very good movie. And I think that they deserve their, they deserve awards for that, for those roles. Like, yeah. yeah. Agreed. I agree. It's well directed too. It's just um, yeah. more than like the TV movie that people are making it out to be. It's, it's a great movie. Um, and referring, talking, uh, referring to sort of like the debate over whether, uh, who it sympathizes with, which I found really interesting. Uh, I think it really does, does come down to like personal interpretation. Um, but it's not a movie that is without its biases either. I think it's very much a movie that where our, our head rests with Scarlett Johansson's character, but our heart rests with Adam Driver. And I think that's a really interesting sort of dichotomy that Noah Baumbach plays with. And in a way that's like self-aware of his own failings as a husband um so it's uh it's really interesting and it feels like again intensely personal for noah bombach in a way that just like people are taking out of context but i i loved it marriage story good movie i think it was dana schwartz on twitter who said that marriage story doesn't give me a fear of marriage it gives me a fear of divorce yeah i was like man i never want to get divorced exactly like that's just like the whole the way it just scalps both of the the people's money out of it just like oh no thank you their money yeah, nope. their well-being their relationship with each other which was like not the relationship terrible. with the kid the relationship with the kid it really just like puts everyone through the ringer and uh they come out worse for it but Oof, i haven't watched it just like, on my list to watch soon and i know it's, it's gonna also be brutal anya as someone who you've grown up in California and Los Angeles, so I'm going to be really interested to see your take on Noah Baumbach's take on Los Angeles, which yeah. is Ooh, not okay. Yeah, okay. Does not seem to like. He I'm, clearly I'm, hates I'm, Los Angeles. I'm very eager to uh, to see it now, and also I am a fan of Adam Driver, so yeah. there, take that, internet. It's also very funny to me that Adam Driver is just too big for this movie. Like every building yeah, he's, he's in I seems like too Tyler small Renfrew for him. Now. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Scarlett Johansson, I can do without, whatever. Um, she's a great actor, but like, huh, huh. Um, but Adam Driver. Again, the words that she said. Yep. Right. Um, but we like Adam Driver in this house, so. Yes. Um, all right. Well, that is our episode for the week. If you guys have any thoughts on Watchmen or movies that you've been watching and really liking, like The Farewell, A Marriage Story, or Honey Boy, come chat with us. And where can they do that, Willoughby? You can find us on Facebook if you search for us there. We're also on Twitter at Falcon Podcast. Our blog is millennialfalconpodcast.wordpress.com. And you can rate, review, and subscribe to us on iTunes, Google Play, and SoundCloud. And where can they find you guys on the internet? You can find me at HTranBui on Twitter. You can find me at Anya Crittenton on Twitter. And you can find me at Willoughby Dobbs on Twitter. All right. Thanks for joining us, guys. Bye. Bye.